You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is Jeff Ellis, your host. Uh, on today's show, we're going to do another little quick roundup. We'll talk about some former Indians and where they found new homes, and we'll just kind of see where we go from there. Um, college baseball season starts on Friday. I'm already kind of uh, neck deep in that. I have uh, written out 39 picks. Um, I'm going to try. I have sent to the editor 20 of those selections, uh, trying to get the last nine at least done by. So we are ready to post on Friday, so we can do a first round for this week, and then do maybe the the competitive balance and uh, the extended first round um, as a secondary article. So just split them up. The problem is I'm writing too much. I'll be honest, like. The first, you know, 20 picks are something like 15 pages um, in a Google Doc. It's it's too much. I'm writing way too much. I'm going into team history, player. I'm just, I'm kind of all over the place in there. It, it all relates to the pick, but I am, I am making it, uh, I should be done by now. So if you want a big, meaty mock draft um, with tons of information, including on the Cleveland Indians, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that over on 24-7 Sports. I mean, honestly, that's that's my focus right now. Um, it's a little bit what I'm feeling a little more passionately about is the the whole situation with the Cleveland Indians in this offseason. It's just kind of left me a bit depressed. Um, we'll see where the team goes, but it's just if they cut salary, it's just I keep waiting for them to do something with it. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, so let's just address Jock Peterson some more. Uh, the Indians have one thing in particular that I'm sure the Dodgers would love, love, love to acquire, and that is their Comp A pick. Because if you are the Cleveland Indians, that Comp A pick is in the 30s, late 30s. Um, it's an incredibly deep draft. There's value to keeping it if you're the Cleveland Indians. Of course, to the Dodgers, they just acquired a Comp pick from the Twins. Um, they have their own pick. If you get a Comp A with that Comp B, uh, they can start building up a bigger pool and really have a chance to to make a splash in what is again a, a very deep class as of right now. Um, college pitchers for days, interesting group of college bats that like goes pretty deep. Lacks star power at the top, both with I would say college arms and college bats. Um, prep arms very weak. Prep bats average. I feel like prep bats. It's almost impossible for that group to be anything other than what it is. Um, it's just always pretty constant. You got like six interesting outfielders, maybe one or two shortstops, and then uh, a catcher here or there. So yeah, it's you know that in any talk with that you know the the what's happening with Jock Peterson and what they would have to do in terms of the Dodgers, I just can't get past you know that that that's what strikes me is that comp pick would make so much sense um, for the Dodgers. It just already having added one they have bought those picks before you know old friend ryan webb was pretty much traded to the dodgers um and the dodgers agreed to pay all of his money from baltimore to get his first round to get a first round pick that year from baltimore in one of those comp picks so it's interesting you know i have to see uh the indians traded theirs away a year ago the last year's class was not very deep and they traded a second rounder in a non-deep class so you know, we'll have to see. Let's talk about the Dodgers, though. You know, we've already kind of dug deep on Peterson, but let's talk about the guys that designated for assignment. Tyler White, uh, he's interesting. I mean, you look at him and just killed in the minors. K 
came up to the majors and really has never performed. <laughs> so let's be honest. A 725 career OPS. Um, 2018 had a pretty good season, but we just haven't seen the. I mean, I was a big fan of his when he was a, a first baseman with the Astros, and you go back to like 2015, I think 2014 in the minors. Yeah, it's like 30 doubles, 911 OPS, 939 OPS. Uh, double-digit home runs, walking more than he strikes out, and walking 80-plus times. It's weird because he's, he's been a bit of a different hitter. Like, you know, the power was never his calling card, but he was a good doubles guy who was patient. And now he's gotten to the pros, he's just not patient. He's not that same guy. I don't know if the Indians would take a gamble on Tyler White. He's an interesting guy. Someone's going to gamble on him. Uh, but he's pretty much a first base only. The Indians kind of have enough of those types. So we will uh, we'll see where Tyler White ends up. Someone will will go. The other guy though that might be more interesting, honestly, is Kyle uh, Garlic. Garlic, yeah. I mean, I guess I would pronounce that Garlic. Uh, a California kid who was a 28th round pick of the Dodgers out of Cal uh, Cal Poly Pomona. I always like those those day three picks. Uh, he got a little bit of shot this year at the Dodgers. And in 53 plate appearances, had a 118 OPS plus, uh, 842 OPS. Now, it's the definition of small sample size. Let's let's talk about what what Garlic did in the minors. I still, this feels weird to say that. That cannot be the right pronunciation. I'm sure I'll have people telling me tomorrow how I butchered it. So, what's interesting with him is he had 22 home runs this year, 18 the year before, and 19 the year before that. Now he is 26. He has been old for the league. He's playing between double and triple A, but he's hit for power. In the minors, uh, I mean, you go back to 2016, it wasn't just 19 home runs, it was 42 doubles. Um, 2017, it was only 79 games, but this year it was 22 home runs, 22 doubles. And it doesn't walk much. There's a lot of strikeouts, and in terms of he's almost entirely played right with a little left. He's a corner outfielder, um, 100%. But, you know, just as another bat, he's a right-handed bat. Probably a bit redundant with the Indians, honestly, at this point, but I think he's an interesting guy to consider. If you're out there kind of scouring the market more than some of the other names we've heard um, or some of the other guys who have been cut and let go and cut and let go by teams, I think he's one of the more interesting ones. And, you know, he's got that power production in the minors. I doubt he actually even gets to the Indians. You know, he's been designated for assignment. I bet he gets traded for cash or something of that, gets claimed at the lower levels. But... Yeah, uh, I thought he was kind of an interesting name. The Dodgers, are, we've talked about their depth, so when they cut someone, um, has to designate someone for assignment, it's just another sign of, uh, you know, that that's someone you should pay attention to because they don't have a lot of extra space. And, and again, it just these are interesting guys who performed well. Um, according to this, in AAA, Garlic hit 314, which is not what i quite saw so maybe i was misreading the data but uh yeah i think he's really the guy he's you know tyler white's the bigger name um i was a huge fan i thought he was going to be a really good guy he was you know you kind of look at those guys who really perform in the minors it's like the scott Cheplers of the world and uh you know adam duvall and guys like that where i'm like just give them an opportunity and sometimes those guys do have one or two big years you're kind of hoping tyler and then sometimes it's jd martinez you know who was never a prospect but always played pretty well and then outperformed or Casey Blake you know sometimes those guys turn out to be good players or even great players who just never um, got that opportunity even though they put up good numbers I thought that'd be Tyler White it wasn't 
we'll see if uh, someone claims garlic and uh, can give him a spot. I know that can't be his name, right? I, it's it's okay. I'm, I'm waiting on that correction already. So uh, we're gonna cut the break. Be right back, and then uh, we'll talk about some old friends in new places. So you know, an Indians legend signed today. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez is going to the Seattle Mariners. That's that's what you were all waiting for, right? Um, I enjoy with it, like the you know I go to MLB trade rumors. I'm very honest about how much I enjoy them. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're like it's a sensible roll of the dice for the Mariners. I'm like it's not. <laughs> he has been awful for two three years now. There's nothing left um, at all with him. Uh, cut by two separate teams last year because he couldn't couldn't even approach league average so uh interesting addition you know they recently added jose siri who was let go by cincinnati when they made uh, the patriots troop signing and siri's a good defender uh, i mean cargo isn't making that team he's he's got no chance he is a walking corpse as it were in baseball uh so he is we can move on don't even have to really dig into that but let's talk about the real one that's jason kipnis signing a minor league deal with the cubs if you've been a long-time listener to this podcast, you know, I even went so far as, I think it was like last May or June, uh, I can pull up the tweet and see, because I, I retweeted it and found it, where it's like, you know, is Jason Kipnis going to even get a minor league, uh, more than a minor league contract? Uh, I'm sorry, even before that, uh, April 29th, 2019, question at the end of the pod, when Kipnis is a free agent at the end of the year, does he get more than a minor league contract? Um, and 70%, 69% really said, no, he won't. And we were right. He is not, you know, he, uh, he just wasn't good enough and he can hit righties. He can't hit lefties. The defensive metrics are surprisingly high on him and he has a chance to make the Cubs. Um, that's there. That's a legitimate chance because, uh, you know, he's a left-handed bat and there are other guys projected to play second or, or, or right-handed. So he could be, uh, could be part of a platoon there. Uh, he's a local kid. It's a good story. We talked about when the rumor started, uh, if he makes a team, he makes a million dollars and then there's other incentive classes, but yeah, he's, uh, it's significantly less than he got paid the past few years. So the Indians and men, boy, did the wheels ever fall off on Kipnis. Um, what I find fascinating is after CC Sabathia, the Indians did not draft and develop another all-star until Jason Kipnis. It was 10 years of draft picks, many of them high. Some There was a two-year period where they had six first-rounders in a row, uh, or six total first-rounders not in a row, six total in two years. Now, honestly, the reason they had six is one of the guys the year before didn't sign, Alan Horn. I don't know if anyone remembers him, went to the Yankees, became a top prospect. Um ended up not turning into anything but they had five of those guys they signed none of them turned into anything and they just couldn't the indians could not um under heart draft to save their lives and you know it's one of those things always come back to before you start coming at me about john hart it's like he he added omar and that's that was it like hank peters drafted everyone else on that team you know the bells the biargas those were brought in through trades through hank peters or drafts with bell Lofton was a was a trade under Peter. None of that was John Hart. Hart did a good job adding those vets to that core, but uh, yeah, his draft record was was pretty awful. Uh, the scouting department was kind of a miserable failure, and uh, then it continued under Shapiro. I mean, they couldn't. That what Shapiro excelled at was using those um, 
late day three picks to draft guys and get a chance to talk to them who would turn into good players. Um, you know, when I started first researching things like that, I'm like, look at these guys that let's up through the cracks. And then as you learn about the draft, you realize that like between round 40 and 50, which doesn't even exist anymore, a lot of teams would draft guys just as a chance because if you draft them, you're allowed to talk to them. It's the only time you're allowed to do that. Um, letting guys slip through the cracks then every team does it like every single team that occurs to so uh but yeah those those two guys were pretty awful when it came to the draft and their their scouting departments uh just could not for the life of them put it together but you know kipnis was the second round pick i think sometimes we forget that you know he was the second round pick i believe that was alex white in round one right that's and I think what's kind of interesting is you go back to the the 2009 second round. Um, he is the third best player from that second round. Um, but what's interesting is that Kipnis is kind of done. Like, you know, he's been not very good the last two years. He is an older, he's not, but that's, he's not older. Like he hit the wall. He had like the Will Clark aging curve. Now, if you go back and look, you know, Will Clark and Rafael Palmero were teammates in college and like Clark was the star and Palmero was, I believe, also a first round pick drafted the same time. And then Will Clark had this typical aging curve and Palmero had steroids and his aging curve never occurred. Jason Kipnis had kind of that more typical aging curve where you look at him, uh, came out as real gangbusters in 2011. And I remember then he just got hurt and that was so disappointing Next year, he's okay. Yeah, after that, he's an all-star. Then he's hurt. Then he's an all-star. Then he's good. And then last three years, he's been well below average. Um, he's going to probably leave overrated, honestly, because you get down to it, he had f- three good years in Cleveland. Like three really good years, but three really good years. One all right, and then four sub-average. Like that's... More than half of Kipnis's years in Cleveland were sub-average. Um, so, yeah, and uh, it, he was well-loved, um, and the high peaks were really good. I mean, it will go, okay, if you go and look at war, you can say four really good years, and then four not good years, not even, you know, league average years. So, I, but still the point that, you know, he got $50 million. He's like kind of the last guy the Indians were able to get that bridge contract with. Um, and here he is, has he turned 33 yet? Uh, not yet. He'll be 33 in April, but essentially he turned 30 and it just kind of ended for him. And, uh, yeah, four good, four not good, uh, really weird kind of player, just in Indians general history because of that. Uh, the peaks were high and the valleys were low and there wasn't really an in-between, uh, early in his career, he would be on fire in the first half and then could not hit his way out of a paper bag in the second half. Just an odd, odd player. Um, and then, I mean, the Indians were saddled with him. So in that second round that year, um, really four guys stood out. You maybe can add a fifth if we wanted to talk about, um, you know, there, there's some other side guys like Michael Givens is still kind of ascending. He was a shortstop back then and it took him a little while longer to get to the majors. You know, Alex Wilson's been a good reliever. Steve Matz is still pitching. Billy Hamilton's a free agent if anyone wants him. Uh, but the, the he Kipnis currently has more war than Patrick Corbin. Uh, he is a little less than DJ LeMayhew and uh, a lot less than Nolan Arenado. The Indians... Um, 
did not pass on Hamilton or Arenado. They did pass on Mayu and Corbin to uh, to take Kipnis, you know, who's an outfielder. Corbin, side note, went to the Angels, a team that's been desperate for pitching for so long. Had Corbin traded him away, if you if you didn't remember that. Uh, a lot of other guys really didn't hit that year in round two. Seeing if there's any names that stood out. Um, round one, like I said, I believe that was the Alex White year. Uh, you know, that was kind of our first big draft type year because that was the Steven Strasburg year, and he was kind of, you know, like the the big prospects everyone knew about him. Um, the funny thing is, if you take Strasburg, who had the best second best war in this class, you had an AJ Pollock who at seventeen had the third best war, and that's a, a fifty four. Okay, so now let's add in Mike Miner, who was viewed, you know, like the Miner pick. I remember watching that draft and being happy when the Braves took him because he was such a uh, a safe pick. Like Miner and Leak, who uh, went seven and eight, were these really safe. And it took Miner a while to get there. Um, he, he's finally kind of coming into his own now. But uh, those are really safe arms. And I remember that in that class. And those guys are four and five. But you take the first three there, and you're at a 54 uh, plus 18. So that's what, a 72. And you add the first three guys' wars, or two, three, and four together, they still don't equal one. And that's Mike Trout. Um, the Indians, yes, they did. They did choose not to take Mike Trout, um, in this draft. They, you know, Alex White, they took at 15, uh, two picks later, AJ Pollock went 10 picks later was Mike Trout. James Paxton, uh, went in the supplemental round, but didn't actually sign. I remember that. That was kind of an interesting story. Other, you know, kind of Zach Wheeler, uh, Kyle Gibson, Randall Gearcheck. Dustin Ackley, uh, just interesting from the regard of he was kind of viewed in that uh, he, Jason Kipnis was always viewed second to him, and it never came together for Ackley. I mean, he was a really big prospect, number two overall pick, this great, great hit tool. There's one thing I've learned over the years is we have no idea how to evaluate hit tool. Uh, consistently, that is wrong. Bradley Zimmer, best hit tool in his class. No, not even close. Tyler Naquin, many people best hit tool in his class no not not even close um we 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 it's it's almost like is it a pretty swing and a fluid swing and we really need to consider part of hit tool eye at the plate because a good hitter is going to be able to um a use the whole field b uh adjust and c not be a wild hacker and that's what a lot of these guys are and it just never works out for them uh it was it was a big pitcher class but a lot of these guys just never really got together um, just in terms of, you know, the Jacob Turners of the world and the like, uh, you know, Alex White ended his career with a negative war. Uh, it, it's some interesting, you know, Slade Heathcock got into problems off the field. It, it, it's always, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by kind of going back and looking at things like this. Um, especially cause you've got at least one hall of famer, one of the greatest players who ever played right off the top. The Indians did well in round two. Um, round three, Kyle Seeger leads the way. Jake uh, uh, Marsnick is second, third, Will Myers. And you got Joe Kelly at four, and then it really falls apart. Um, I, the Indians in the third round took Joe Gardner, um, who was well-regarded at the time. I thought he'd be no worse than a reliever because he was just like, this is when the Indians were obsessed with sinkers, and he had this really good sinker ball. It's like, oh, he can at least... 
uh, you know, get that sink. But he didn't really miss bats at any point in his career. And um, it just never came together for Joe Gardner. Pick that a lot of people did like, um, honestly, when I go back. And, and I would just, you know, dig into the memory. Adam Warren is your best guy in the fourth round. Indians took Kyle Bellows. I... I uh, you just knew when that pick was made and you looked at the numbers. It's like, hey, he was okay at a small school, uh, good defender, but Brandon Belt in round six, just to continue kind of uh, digging and having fun with this. Uh, Austin Adams, who the Indians took in the fifth round, actually uh, has a negative war, was one of the few guys who actually made the, the majors from that class. And I'm just going to keep going till we get out of the top ten. Uh, in... Uh, Enrique, aka Kiki Hernandez, was a was a sixth round pick in that class. Michael A. Taylor, who was turned into kind of a bench guy, man Ben Carlson, that is a name I have not thought about in a very long time. Was the Indians pick? This was kind of one of the last classes where the Indians took like um, corner players. Like they for a long time only drafted up the middle players. Like everyone was a shortstop. Uh, win drafted even if they weren't going to end up there they they were a shortstop a center fielder a pitcher or a catcher yeah ben carlson yeah it was just two years down there struggled both those two years um man you guys may not enjoy it as much but I, i certainly do uh seventh round though gets really good because you have dallas keichel chris davis and miles miklos you got four three guys who actually perform pretty well in their chances Jordan Henry, man, this is, this is, like I said, for me personally, this is like, I liked Jordan Henry a lot, uh, speed center fielder. I thought he was going to be a potential fourth outfielder. Uh, he moved, you know, through the Indian system in 2010, he had a, an OPS over 768. He was stealing, you know, 29, 30 bases, got up to Akron and just couldn't hit enough. And that was the end of him. I, I mean, honestly, I could just for fun go through, classes like this forever and then this is where it gets even more fun to me because you know we talked about just the way drafts work so in the eighth round what happens um the diamondbacks take goldschmidt and the twins take brian dozier another second baseman who's a free agent in this class who's a bit um you know viewed a bit as kind of washed or, or past his time uh cory burns the indians took ended up getting some games in the mi- uh, majors as a reliever I, I he was another one i held out hope for as being a future part of the indians pen uh did obviously did not work out uh brock holt another second baseman who's a free agent was he was a ninth rounder in this class so apparently the entire second base free agent cra- class is brought to you by the 2009 draft uh chase anderson uh who was traded this offseason also uh, one of those guys up there, and the Indians took Preston Gilmet as a senior sign, and he did get five games in the majors, so you'll take that in the ninth round. And in the tenth, do we... Jan Gomes, how about that? Tucker Barnhart, tenth round was catchers. Uh, Indians took uh, Brett Brock, not to be confused with Brad Brack, um, because I often had that problem when uh, Brad Brack brock was uh, was performing well i was like is that the indians drafted no not him so uh yeah that was the the 2009 draft it's not a great one for the indians um most of them during that time were not but what i think stood out is again between sabathia and kipnis you know they took sabathia in 1999 they took kipnis in 2009 10 years lots of high draft picks i mean think about 
those great 90s teams, every time someone left, you got not just a a comp pick, but you also got the team that signed them's picks. You got two picks every time you lost one. So that's why we got into the point where, I think it was like the 2011 draft, where um, you didn't start the second round until like pick 80. Like it was something crazy like that. So that's part of the reason they started to do reform. But uh, you used to get so many more picks if you had those comp picks. Um, you didn't have to do the qualifying offer and all that jazz. If you had a good player and they hit free agency, you'd, you'd get a little more value for him. So the Indians had lots and lots of picks. And, uh, I mean, they didn't even, for the most part, turn into good players. They just struggled to produce talent at all through their drafts. But a 10-year gap between Sabathia and Kipnis. And uh, it's one of those things I just I remember tracking and watching. I mean, there was a point in time where the Indians had like a six-year stretch where no first or second rounder even made it to the majors before um, their career ended. It, it was, it's, you could write a book, let's put it that way, on the Cleveland Indians um, and that fallow period of the draft, which, you know, it, it corresponds with some of that money ball time where the Indians were, you know, suppo- were at the cutting edge, but still couldn't figure things out. So it's, I, like I said, I could spend eons just going on and on about these drafts. Um, the 2009 draft was my third draft following in depth as an Indians fan. Uh, it started in 2007, which is the Chisholm Hall draft. And I don't even know if I want to say too in depth because it was almost like, oh, hey, the draft's happening. Let's go um, go on the boards on Indians Prospect Insider as it was back in the day, back in the good old days, and like see what – I can't even think what the guy's name was – but they had a guy kind of doing like write-ups, and he was just really angry um, about everything that the Indians did that year. Uh, and then the next year, I think I started doing write-ups in 2008, 2009. It was 2008 would have been, I believe, the Pomeranz class, and then 2009 was this one. Uh, 2010, you know, I'm still doing that. 11, it starts to pick up with that Lindor draft because I, I correctly predicted Lindor and you know it's like the first time I had any interaction with anyone from the Indians um like you know them sending us a you do great work congratulations on all you do was like amazing to me at the time uh you know 12 was Frazier where things continued to get better and better I had been on that pick the whole time so again that looked good and then I'm trying to think if 2013 was the first time where I started writing nationally or not but you know, the draft's a passion, so it shouldn't come as any surprise. I hope a lot of you will uh, will check out the mock. We'll look forward to uh, some of the draft talk. I still don't know exactly where it's all going to end up, but it's just one of those things I, you know, I can't quit you drafts. You know, when you're, you're born and raised in Cleveland, uh, drafts are part of the sports culture because, I don't know, I'm almost 40 for most of my lifetime. Most of the teams have been uh, terrible. The Indians are about 500 probably for my lifetime since I started following but, you know, I, you get rid of LeBron, and the Cavs had the price Doherty years, and that that's about it. And then with the Browns, <laughs> by the time I started following, it was the end of Bernie. So essentially nothing with the Browns in my lifetime. I have never known a Browns team uh, that wasn't – like the best Browns team was the Bill Belichick Browns team two years before they left. That is the best that I have known, really, as, a, as someone who follows sports. So the drafts are just in our blood in Cleveland, and uh, – thanks to me being born in 1981 uh one can basically say like i i was i fell into the perfect point in time perfect era to be 
maybe more draft obsessed than most. So uh, I appreciate all of you listening as this one went long and I got a chance to kind of have some fun with draft talk. Uh, as always, this has been Jeff Ellis of 24 seven sports and the locked on Indians podcast. And also as always go tribe, go get Jock Peterson, please find a way. Can we start a GoFundMe? Who's with me?